Kiora, and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining us today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, welcome back. It's great to welcome you all and especially big hi to all our new listeners. Thank you all for joining my guest and I today. Most people have heard of the term NDE or near-death experience. Some of you may have even experienced one. This is not a new phenomenon. For hundreds of years, so long as we have had written records, these experiences have been recorded at the very least talked about. An NDE, or near-death experience, for those who may not have heard the term before, is when a person has a subjective experience of an afterlife following an accident or medical incident. In this experience, they may travel to other worlds, see different beings, or simply see their bodies laying beneath them, but are aware of the presence of some being with them. I did an episode on NDEs in the first season of the Walking the Shadowlands podcast, simply called Near-Death Experiences, where I went into the background and research a fair bit, and also had a guest who runs an NDE Facebook support page, so if you haven't yet heard that episode, it will lay really good groundwork for this one. There have been decades of scientific research into this subject, which has established that for people who experience these, they are very real, profound and life-changing experiences, transforming the lives of those who have them. There are also many commonalities people can and often do share during these experiences. The more powerful the NDE is, the more profound the after effects can be. The most common after effects of NDEs are psychological and therefore quite subjective. Many people reset their priorities, change their values and rethink their beliefs following their NDE. But what if the after effects of an NDE were not just subjective but were undeniable regardless of interpretation or belief? The facts checkable by looking at the evidence, talking to witnesses, seeing the proof. For example, what if someone suddenly developed the ability to produce high-quality paintings of their NDE, a newfound school that went far beyond any artistic ability they had before? And what if that same person then suddenly acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies after their NDE? And their symphonies were then premiered at sell-out orchestral concerts, even though to this day they are unable to read or write a single note of musical notation. Wouldn't this be undeniable evidence that an NDE was more than a psychological subjective event? 
proof that even a cynic would have a hard time explaining. After his NDE, this is exactly what happened to my guest this episode. This is his story. So, are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and learn more of this inspiring and uplifting experience? Then let's begin. Picture this. You've just had a great weekend with a person you care deeply about and you decide to walk them to the train station to say goodbye to them and see them off home. It's cold. So you're wrapped up warmly and tightly in your best coat, very snug-fitting coat. You help them on board with their suitcase, say bye and step back. But as the train door shuts, you discover that your coat is caught in the door. No worries, right? After all, the doors open and close pretty easily, so... There you are, a bit uneasy but not really concerned until the train starts up. Then you realise that you need to get free or you could be in trouble and that you could potentially get sucked under the train. What would you do? What thoughts would be going through your mind? My guest is a near-death experience NDE-inspired artist, composer and author. He turned his life around following his NDE and wants to use his own spiritual journey to make a positive difference to people's lives. In 2006, he was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. As surgeons fought to save him, he had a profound NDE. When he woke up in hospital, he had acquired astonishing new abilities. He found he could paint dramatic paintings of what he had seen in the afterlife, far beyond any artistic ability he had before. He then discovered he could compose classical music, having never received any training. To this day, he cannot read or write a single note of musical notation, and yet his debut NDE-inspired symphony, The Divine Light, was premiered at a sell-out orchestral concert to a standing ovation. He has since composed further classical works, which have also been premiered at sell-out concerts and completed over 40 paintings. He lives paints and composers in a converted Riverside Mill near Cambridge in the United Kingdom. I would like to welcome my guest, David Ditchfield. so much for agreeing to join us today oh my pleasure yeah i'm really you have a really interesting story one that left me with a few questions actually at the end of it which i'm sure you get all the time (laughs) maybe you could start at the beginning and um tell us what led up to your accident you know is in as much detail as you want Okay, well, um, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I mean, basically, the what had happened was uh, I'd been living in London for quite some time. Actually, I've been there for quite a few years, and um, I'd hit rock bottom in my life. I'd hit hard times. I was uh, I was pretty much broke. I've got no money, and uh, 
I was struggling to find work because I'd left school without any qualifications. And so I was just kind of picking up whatever kind of work and I could mainly manual laboring work. And, um, so living in London, like all capital cities, it's an expensive game, you know, and mm. it's all about, it's a competitive game as well because there's an awful lot of successful people in London. And, uh, I guess I was aspiring to all that crowd as well. So that made life even more tough for me because, uh, I realized that, that wasn't the right sort of, I was moving in all the wrong circles as well. Mm. So uh, life was consuming me. Um, so my sister and her family uh, were living in Cambridgeshire uh, and they got a house out in the country and they said, she said, come and stay with us. You need a break. So I did. And I was there for like you know a good few weeks and just chilling out and trying to get my head back together. And um, I'd met up with somebody um a really lovely person called Anna only a few weeks before and uh, in London and uh, we just we just met by somebody else in, in a bar and stuff and she said why don't I come up and see you for a few days in Cambridge I said that'd be lovely so she did and so um we hung out for a few days there uh, and my sisters and she got to get back to London so I said look I'll um I'll take you to the station and of course you know and so I, we arrived at the rail station and the train pulled in and I, I helped her on with her bags onto the train and um said goodbye you know said my goodbyes to her and, and hugged her and kissed her and uh you know we just had a lovely few days together so i, I was uh, giving her a real warm hug you know and then the emergency buzzer started going so she was going quick you know you, you're gonna have to get off i was going yeah and i'll be fine don't worry but as i did step back the bottom corner of my coat got caught. It got, well, it got trapped, literally trapped in the, in the automatic closing doors of the carriage. Um, so I tugged really, really hard trying to release it. And I thought the doors would actually sort of trigger and open, but they didn't. Right. And I couldn't get it free. Um, the engine started, you know, revving up and, uh, oh my goodness, you know, this is not good. So I turned around and looked for a guard on, and there was no guard at all on the platform so i just yelled at the top of my voice for help you know and uh, nobody turned up um so i just started i looked at anna i looked in her eyes i could just see this fear in her eyes you know and i just started hitting the side of the carriage hoping that maybe a guard would run through but nobody turned up and um, um, the train started to really rev up and i thought right it's about to leave now and we looked at each other and the fear in her eyes was just so intense that it just made me stop and think, this is it, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. And I really figured at that point that that was it. It was all, I, I couldn't see myself getting free at all. And I thought I'm going to get pulled under. So um, the train pulled out at a, a real speed. You know, you don't realize just how fast trains actually leave uh, at a station until you literally on the outside of one and you know and um so i got dragged along and i lost my footing uh eventually and then got pulled between the space of the platform edge and then the, the actual train itself and then wow. great speed i got sucked in and down i went and um yeah so it was just like literally being pulled into 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 darkness and i was just violently thrown around and just completely it was like 
I was completely conscious about the whole ordeal. So it was very terrifying and very painful and very fast. And, you know, I'd lost all, I got no control over the situation whatsoever. You know, I felt like it was me against this huge beast, you know, this, mm. this train, uh, this big piece of metal suddenly became like a, a, a massive monster that was about to devour me. And uh, then I suddenly found myself lying in between the track uh, as the train was still continuing onwards. And um, I just um, kept my head right down because I knew that it wasn't over yet. But I thought any part of the undercarriage of the train itself could just, you know, hit me over the back of the head and right. it would all be over. But um, clearly that didn't happen. And the train eventually moved on. And it took forever. <laughs> it was a long train. And off it went and sort of disappeared down the track and left me lying there <laughs> in agony and wow. uh, in sh- and absolute shock you know <laughs> so this was this was it was this underground or above the ground no, this was a yeah it was an overground uh, uh train yeah because uh that's what surprised me because i after living in london all the years the the underground trains you know you were you were constantly people you'd see it People would do it all the time just to get on a train. They'd see the doors closing and they'd literally put their suitcase in between the doors or even their, their hand because right. they would also, they would open automatically on the, on, the, on the underground in London. So I kind right. of figured that would happen to me, but that wasn't going to be the case on, on an over, overground train. So, yeah, so, yeah. Wow. yeah. So it was outdoors. It was a heck of a drop as well, you know. With it being an, uh, an overlying station, you know, the, the platform edge was like, they're, they're pretty it's high. Five foot, yeah, it's about five foot drop or something, you know. And and were you actually originally were you trapped between the platform and the train itself? Um, like when you originally when you um, yeah when I first got yeah it, 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 I was dragged along the platform edge and then there was a there's a tiny space. I mean I I still every time I get on a train now because it took me a lot of therapy to be able to do it again. But oh, I can imagine. Um, uh, I look at that. Well, I try not to look actually, but I can't help it. And I look and I think, how the heck did my body fit through that space? But there was, it was like there was no option because the sheer force of the, of, and the pull of the train and the speed and my body weight meant that uh, there was no other option but to, for me to get sucked down in between. And well, then so I you, went, but, you would have been like a leaf in the wind, really. No control yeah, yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, non- no, I felt like a ragdoll. That's how it felt. I felt mm-hmm. like a ragdoll that was just attached to the side of that carriage and then just got pulled right under and, and then, uh, yeah. That's absolutely terrifying. And, and the reason I asked if you if you were between the, the platform and, and the train is because I have heard of cases where people got caught between the platform and the train and they died because of the, um, the, the train mm-hmm. moving, twisted their bodies. Yeah, well, my body was twisted and thrown all over the place. Yeah, you know what? What the crazy thing is is, is um, like the British Rail Police did a, a massive inquiry on it, and um, they it took them a year. You know, they took the carriage down to London and stripped. They told me that they stripped the doors right down to the last rivet. You know wow. how? And they said that when they completed their inquiries, they said that we. They said we. He said we don't get it. We banged our heads together and we're all saying you should be dead. There's no way you should have survived that. Everything that happened that day, 
should have killed you uh, outright. And we don't understand how you survived it. But, you know, I, I, don't, I now know that it was something, uh, a much huger force <laughs> and presence was, was uh, taking place that day, bigger than any of us and the Royal Police could ever imagine, you know, and it saved me. Absolutely. So there you were, you, the train had moved on and you found yourself lying on the platform. No, no, I wasn't uh, I mean, on, the platform, on the rail. On the track, yeah. On the track, yeah. sorry, yeah, 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 I mean, on the track. I imagine initially it must have just been like shock, like, oh, yeah. you know, how am I still here? Am I still here? Mm, yeah. And you probably yeah. at that stage didn't even really feel your injuries, I imagine. For, at least for a, a brief space of time. Yeah, you, you're right. This, I mean, I was, I, I was in absolute agony like I'd never felt in my life. But right. there was a sense that I didn't really comprehend just how much pain I was in initially. You know, it's like, I think it's like, it was almost like, you know, I think that I can remember when I was a kid at school, you know, getting into fights in the playground and, the first hit in the face really hurts, and then the ones that follow don't hurt so much. Right, <laughs> and right. If you, so basically, if you think about it, I'd just been in in the worst fight ever. So I'd already been through the massive pain threshold that had, you know, that really put me, tested me to my limits. And so gotcha. I think after that, there was a sense of that kind of numbness that was like, well, you know, wow, you know, I'm just, um, you know, I was just the shock of it as well because I, I still think to this day that both the mind and the body should not be subjected to anything quite so dramatic as that and quite so violent as that. Right. And, and I don't think that it's really, my mind and body has never recovered from it. You know, I know that much, uh, um, despite the beautiful spiritual, um, you know, event that was to follow, but you know, that even so, you know, I'm a human being and I, and I don't think that I, I should, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's played havoc in certain ways, let's say, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I, but ultimately I was, I was laying shot because I remember I first looked over and I felt like I was, I remember seeing, looking at the, the side of the platform wall and I felt like I, I was in a pit, you know, and I felt like mm. it, it was really deep and dark, but mm. I looked up and it was a beautiful blue sky there was not a cloud in the sky it was a february day and it was like it was really cold and blue and it was fantastic and i remember feeling very much in touch with nature at that point and i guess that was also that the sense of euphoria that i, I was alive you know that, right. that sense of wow i've just died you know um in the same way as i guess i mean i've never done a bungee jump in my life but i guess i could get the reason why people do it now because they're going through they're doing that they're, they're just kind of reaching that point of of the, their mind is telling them that, that they they almost died and then when they and they bounce back up on that elastic you see them go wow you know it's yeah, kind of like yeah. there's a sense of you know so there's something that kicks in in the mind which says you're alive you know yeah. and it's a fun and it's a wonderful feeling but that didn't last for long because well actually it did i remember because i checked for my injuries you know i looked to see that that quality coat that had got trapped in the door that day that uh, was now ripped to shreds, you know, and, and uh, my arm was kind of cut right open from, from the elbow down. And, and again, because I suppose I was in shock, I didn't 
kind of freak out and mm-hmm. and uh, I looked at it and I, I remember it sounds bizarre but I remember looking I could see all the workings within my arm and I was fascinated by that and I was actually saying to myself wow that is that's me that's the inside of me and and there was a sense of of wonder you know at that point so I guess part of that was shock and uh, part of it was because I was I was I also know that I was being protected uh, at that point you know which I should go on to later you know, yes. but, um, yes. so there's something more spiritual happening as well you know so that that kind of was guarding me I guess yeah well absolutely and, and of course your endorphins would have kept in by that stage yes, yes. which would have given you given you a bit of a buffer as well mm-hmm. and yeah. the shock factors so there's a lot of things combined there I just cannot imagine how traumatic this must have been for you I mean I've been in a few accidents in my life Oh, yeah. And and they were they were only minor accidents, not nothing like what you dealt with. But the shock afterwards was still profound. Mm. So having such a traumatic incident, and then after the train left, did it stop at all once it got no, past it, you? It continued on yeah for quite some time actually because um, um, you know my friend Anna she told me afterwards that she she ran through the carriage to look through the window to see if I'd, I would survived or not. And she saw me go under. And so she obviously assumed that I was dead, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, she just panicked and ran through the train. And uh, people said, what's happened? And she said, and she was in a state of shock and panic. And they managed, her and a few other people managed to find a ticket collector and uh, he stopped the train. And, um, they stopped it in the in the middle of the countryside, and she she told me this afterwards, and she said that it was a very profound moment because um you know they were sat there in silence, and there was this very packed train full of commuters, and um she they all by then had realized what had happened, and so she turned round to them and said, "Look, I I believe that he's dead. Would do you mind if we say a prayer for him?" and um, she said a woman stepped forward and said, look, I'm a Christian. Would you like me to take the prayers? And she said, yeah, please. And so she did. And so she told me that this whole carriage of commuters just laid down their laptops and their newspapers and they all prayed. And I felt the energy of those prayers. It was, it's really amazing, but I did. And, um, you know, I firmly believe in the power of prayer now from, mm. from that point on. Yeah. So that was pretty yeah, but bless her. She when they they finally moved on to the next station, and she said she got off, and and the, the, obviously the platforms were really crowded because they'd had to stop all the trains, and um, and the, a, a, an announcement came over saying that there's a delay because there'd been a fatality at the previous station, so they got it wrong. So she she got that confirmation, and you know broke down and thought that was the end, you know. But um, so yeah. Wow. Wow. Honestly, that just absolutely touches me when I, and when I read that in, in your book, as I said um, before we started this interview, I couldn't put your book down. I started reading it and I just couldn't put it down. I had to, I was like, I literally had to keep, keep reading it. And, and the emotions, I felt the emotions of what you were conveying. I felt like what you were going through. And even now, I'm, you know, like, I, it, oh, you know, there's a saying yeah. that goes that I really, really love. And it's this that what comes from the heart touches the heart. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, your experiences 
actually uh, moved me quite deeply. So there you were lying on, on the train, and as you said in your book, you you were worrying that another train was going to come along. Yeah, and get that's you. right, yeah. That and that's a very valid thought, yeah. fear. Yeah, well, I mean, it's totally valid, isn't it? It's just especially when you're in such a vulnerable place. And because I figured there was no one around, you see, on the mm. at the station because I called for help and there was no one around. So uh, thankfully, the there was the only person who actually did working at the station was a woman who was working in the signal box and she was watching the whole thing. She watched it all unfold on the CCTV, uh-huh. but she couldn't alert the driver because that wasn't there was no communication set up there. Right. It was all just lights and stuff, you know. So, uh, but she managed to stop any trains coming through. Um, so that was, and but also the emergency guys arrived really quick because there was actually a hospital only around the corner from the station itself, and so they they were there, you know, um, you know, jumping on the track and cutting through my clothes and stuff and trying to assess me and and what have you. And uh, somehow they got me onto a stretcher, and somehow they got me up you know like that five foot drop or whatever it was onto the platform and then wheeled me into an ambulance and uh, i remember the doctor said to me we got in the back and he said look you're in a pretty bad shape and uh there's a hospital around the corner but there's a much better one but can you hang on and i said yeah let's go so <laughs> i remember you know they just stuck the siren on and we just took off like a rocket you know and then sped off down the highway and and we ended up at Adam Brooks Hospital, which is like, it's a university hospital. It's quite a well-known one right. and in Cambridge. And so I'm really glad I went there because they did save me. You know, I, I turned up and I remember we arrived and as I was being wheeled in, I could see this kind of like, we got into the emergency department and there was like a whole team of medics and nurses and doctors waiting for me. And they just started, you know, working on me straight away. And so it was pretty intense because there was a lot of frantic voices going and stuff and all this science firing over my head thinking, oh my goodness, this, this doesn't sound good, you know, because I was losing a lo- an awful lot of blood by this yeah. stage because uh, my, my left arm, had, I hadn't realized it, but it had been severed um, as well. And so there, you know, but <laughs> uh, they... It, it was all very dramatic, but again, it was all very kind of surreal because, you know, they were getting ready and then the, the surgeon who just started working at the hospital, which is again, was brilliant. That, that was like synchronicity that this guy had just started working there because he really looked after, after me. He was fantastic. You know, in fact, I said to him, look, can you save my arm? And before I went into surgery and he said, yeah, I will. And he kept his word because he told me afterwards it was on the, you know, and their notes, they, they, they would automatically have amputated because, you know, it was, it was slightly attached, but not, there was not much, much of it. There. But they, wow. they did about three eight-hour operations to, to save it, but they did. So I've still got it. You know. It doesn't function, you know, completely, but hey, you know, amazing, amazing work. An amazing well, guy, so. I, I was a nurse for like, close to 40 years so I know the amount of work that goes into that sort of operation so um, the very fact that you've been able to retain your arm is is an absolute great thing yeah even if you don't have full function of it yeah yeah it doesn't matter I've got it and that's 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 great you know so um, yeah 
So there you were, surrounded by all this medical staff, surrounded by the machines that beep and all this activity around you, and yet you were kind of cocooned in this almost like a vacuum state, I imagine, like it, it was a surreal thing. You were there, but you weren't there. Is that right? Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, what was surreal was that, that my family had arrived at the hospital and they, and I couldn't believe how quick they seemed to have wow. there, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, because Anna had called my sister immediately on the train and told her what had happened. So, oh, wow. you know, so they jumped in a car and, and flew right over, you know, yeah. And um, so they, they, they came in to see me and my mother was completely, you know, beside herself with tears and stuff and, and I remember I was apologising to her because, and I was going, "Mum, it's always me bringing all the dramas to this family." So yeah, because I, I was always the one that felt like the troublemaker, or you know, not troublemaker, but yeah. I just felt like I was just, I don't know, I carried an awful lot of guilt um, yeah. because things, so many things did go wrong in my life, and so. But she was going, "No, no, stop! It's not your fault." Which it wasn't my fault, you know. And, and but anyhow, so that was that. But the main thing that was really in my mind at that point was just I wanted to talk to Anna because I saw that she was there mm-hmm. so the police had brought her in really quick as well and she, she, I just remember seeing her sat you know looking completely torn you know and in shock and I said I said to my mom I said can you get Anna to come over I want to talk to Anna so she said yeah so she came over and she was just Anna just looked at me and she was just shaking her head from yeah. side to side like going I don't. I thought you were dead. I can't believe that you're you're here. I can't believe you're alive. It's like I saw you go under, and and they announced it and everything. You know, and she was like, really. So yeah. So that was really a, a quite emotional. So um, anyhow, um, it was. I was. I was. All, it was. I was very awake, and I was very aware of what was going on, and I was and I was getting nervous um, because mm-hmm. I thought things aren't don't sound right and then you know thing you know with the, the way the doctors were getting so frantic right. and then they, they said to my family you know they were going to have to sort of ask them to, to leave and then and then it was at that point I just suddenly left my body and um and I was it was amazing I just all the pain and all the anxiety uh, just dispersed from me and I was suddenly in what felt like a darkened room Mm-hmm. But when I say a darkened room in a in a really lovely space, you know, it was it was a really calm and relaxing atmosphere, and I just lay there and I just thought, where am I? You know, and, and I thought the pain's all gone and and I'm it's it's everything's gone and I'm just you know it's just de- delightful when I just and I figured straight away that I died because I knew that it was on the cards at that point and I figured I must be dead. You know, this this is it. This is the next phase of of where we go and um and i looked around me and the first thing i noticed were these like pulsating colors they were almost like orbs just slowly pulsating all around me and uh and then i just thought what's going on you know and i, I kind of looked to assess the situation and i realized that i was no longer laid uh, on the hospital trolley that i've been brought in on but i was laid on a, a huge slate sort of rock it was almost like a like a big sort of like a medieval altar and right. and i just and i realized that i wasn't clothed anymore but i felt comfortable laid on this rock it was like a really 
one of the most comfortable things to, to feel to be there and and relaxing on it and i i looked to see where whether my wounds how bad they were you know and everything was healed my arm was back in place you know there wasn't even the slightest scratch or bruise you know and um and i realized then that my, that my body was covered in like this blue sort of satin silk sort of sheets you know it was really it's a beautiful light blue and it was like it just covered me and but the way it covered me it it was comforting you know it was like right. a really you know really beautiful feeling and sensation and um it was at that point i just figured that there was somebody else there i felt you know the presence of some somebody and so i thought you know what's going on and i looked and then in in the distance in the dark right at my feet was this beautiful androgynous um person just stood there just wearing like a very simple contemporary black t-shirt and uh you know nothing too ethereal but uh but with this beautiful white blonde hair and this skin that was kind of glowing almost from within and Mm. uh and this but the reassurance that was coming from this being was just so overwhelming and comforting. And I just felt that I was being cared for by this being. And uh, we just kept looking at each other and then he or she just kept smiling back at me, but a really, just a small smile, but a a reassuring one. Mm. And I thought, where do I know you from? I I know your face. I I know you. And I was just thinking, and I figured well i knew that i'd known this being throughout the whole of my life and beyond you know right. uh, it was like meeting my soulmate and um so that was really lovely and then, um then i laid my head back and relaxed and when i looked up then i noticed these there's like these three grids of white light were just kind of like slowly um homing in on me and the, and the light that was coming from there was just like this pure white light that um it was incredibly bright, but I could I couldn't take my gaze away from it. You know, it wasn't if it had been here in the earth plane, like looking into electric light or sunlight, you just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, it was just yeah. too intense. But with this light, I could, and I, and I just thought this it's healing me. This light and it's mm. it's it's uh, it's really bathing me and and uh, and so I lay back and enjoyed that sensation. And it was at that point I figured there was. I felt that there was more people suddenly had arrived. And so I looked around me and, and either side of me, there were two, um, two female forms. Um, the one to my right was just kind of like long brown hair and uh, just wearing, a, again, a simple dress and, uh, and uh, sort of green eyes, I'd say. So quite sort of um, European in appearance. Whereas the one to the left was more um, American Indian, um, Asian Indian in, in her appearance, and they both had their hands just slowly going all over over the top of my body, just not touching it, but just kind of hovering above. And and there was this sensation of energy that was coming from their hands was just so powerful, and it was it was a feeling of love. It just felt like there was love coming from their hands and in in into me, and it wasn't. I. I I, part of me was thinking, yeah, they're healing my body after what's, what it's just been through, but it felt more like they were actually healing my soul, my whole essence. That's what they were really healing, you know. And um, they were just taking away all the 
anxiety and pain that I'd been going through throughout my former years as well. So it wasn't just the accident itself. So, um, yeah. Um, um, And then I started to think about my family. I thought, well, they're going to be in the hospital. They're already pretty torn apart. I thought they're just going to be really distressed now because I've clearly died and they're going to be there. (laughs) And, And so I thought, there was, again, there was no state, sense of panic or, oh, my goodness, my family, you know, there was no, yeah. none of that kind of like emotion. It was more like, okay, I'll, I'll look down and check and they're going to be in the A&E department or whatever. And I looked over my left-hand shoulder over this huge rock, hoping to see them. Um, and I, I didn't actually see them at all. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, so as I looked down, um, hoping to see them in the hospital, I, what I did see was this, um, I didn't see them, but I saw an, an amazing sort of huge waterfall of stars. It was like looking at the size of Niagara Falls, but it was just stars that were just slowly cascading over the edge and sparkling and falling down. And there was like shooting stars just dropping through the middle. And it was just, and I looked, I think, wow, you know, I'm not in a small darkened room at all. I'm actually in the universe mm-hmm. itself. Right. And, uh, so, yeah. And, and I, the, the further I looked, the further it seemed to disappear into infinity. It seemed to go f- from one galaxy into another. You know, it was just like a universal, beautiful sight. And, and the colors that were down there were, were remarkable. And um, so I turned my head back over and, and again, there was no sense of guilt or anxiety. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be seeing my family again, I'm sure. And if I don't see them, they're going to be in, experiencing what I'm experiencing now one day and it'll all make sense and so i kind of laid my head back and then it was at that point that i felt the most profound energy and was just suddenly it, it turned up like a huge dial and it was like what has happened you know and i just kind of looked and then looking beyond the being of light at my feet i could see this tunnel of white light like a huge tunnel and it was just like slowly getting close towards me mm-hmm. and the energy coming from this light was just like it was like every molecule in my body was just kind of like shaking you know, with uh it but in a really beautiful way and it was still this sensation of love this unconditional love that i was feeling but it was mm-hmm. just like t- tenfold you know and this light this tunnel of light was like it was like it was surrounded by flames that were just slowly circling around the light as it came in towards me but it wasn't it was very powerful but it wasn't at all um terrifying it was it was just uh, awe inspiring and um and i just knew at that point that this was um a source of all creation this is god this is not you know the image of god that i always assumed and most people do you know whatever their god is that they Mm -hmm. choose you know uh, it wasn't in human form or what have you it was this massive tunnel of light but that was it this is this is where where it all comes from and it was just pretty much at that point anyway i i had laid my head back and and i remember just looking up and at the stars and then suddenly i was back in my body i came crashing back into my body and the pain came rushing through you know the uh the overkill of light and sound was just was just overbearing you know and uh 
and then suddenly it was there I was back <laughs> back in in the, in the hospital that must have been a real shock when that transition happened yeah it was it was mm-hmm. just I'm I remember feeling the shock it wasn't like it's you know it, it happened really it was almost mm. like really very quick but interestingly enough I, you know a lot of people say to me oh you must have been really you know disappointed after all that you know, to have come back or did you feel disappointed and uh, the answer to that is I didn't um, because I was just so charged with energy and mm. I was just so a part of me was still there part of me was still experiencing all this energy even mm. though I was back in the hospital and uh, all I was all I could think to myself was why have they sent me back um, there must there must be a reason and I've got to find out what it is and I've got to tell the world you know I'd never heard mm. of near-death experiences uh, until this point so I didn't even know that they existed so right. for me it was like you know <clears throat> I, I figured, how am I going to tell everybody <laughs> that that the afterlife is is beautiful and that death is not to fear? You know, how am I going to get this one across to everyone? So, that, and uh, but also, I thought I, I thought I must have there must be a reason more than that. I thought, mm. thought there must mm. be. I figured at first that it must be that I I'd got to help people. I've got to maybe be a healer myself or or what have you. I wasn't really sure, so I was trying to figure that out for quite some time. Right. Yes, I can imagine you would be. Well, why did they bring me back? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? I can imagine that all these thoughts would be going through your head um, on top of dealing with the physical pain and the rehabilitation and the psychological trauma of the accident and everything else you were dealing with before the accident. Yes, indeed, that's it, yeah. So Uh, it must have been... uh, in some ways, an incredibly difficult time for you, but in other ways, you would have had this slight detachment because of the energies that you brought back with you from your experience. So it would have been a bit of a clash, I imagine, going on in you. Yeah, I mean, I remember coming through after the, they took me into theatre at that point, and I, I, had the, I had the first eight-hour operation. And I remember they gave me my own room in the hospital because of the severity of the of the accident and and I remember lying there it's the middle of the night and it was just me in there and, and you'll be able to relate with this as, as, as you know with your work and stuff and I was just I got this machine next to me that was like an R2D2 <laughs> just <laughs> flashing and buzzing throughout the whole night you know and that was I hadn't I didn't even know what it was I'd never even had an accident before in my life I'd never been into hospital so I didn't know what it was and I just remember the two of us lying there and there was this so yeah the first night there was a part of me was still very charged with all the energy and all the positive love and what mm. had happened and uh, but there's part of me was also thinking uh, processing what had happened the accident and thinking that was just horrific that was terrifying you know and mm. uh, so i was kind of the first night i was just kind of like weighing up everything you know weighing up the fact that i just stared de- death in the face and, and i'd survived but the truth is that the um, the actual experience itself won out in the end in terms of the positivity of it all. It was just I just decided right from the off that I knew how I was going to start telling people about this, and I thought I'm going to do a painting. I'd never done anything like this before, but I thought I'm going to do, and it's got to be a big painting. I told myself it's got to be like a, a big Renaissance style, you know, Michelangelo, you know, where 
where you can see exactly what's going on. Right. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be a big depiction. So, so I already knew that I was going to do that. So, and, um, and my sister came in to see me. I remember the following evening and, you know, she was there and she, she'd come in with a friend and they both came to see me and we were chatting and then they were about to leave. You know, it was all very calm and quiet. And my sister said, look, is there anything thing I can get you? And I said, yeah, can you get me like a small sketch pad and a, and a pencil? And of course she was baffled by that request, but she said, yeah. And she obliged, of course. So, because I was actually scared at that point that I might forget everything right. that I'd seen, you know, right. which of Anyone? course that never happened. Mm. And, uh, mm. but even so I did this very, very faint sketch on this, on this pad, you know, I got the nurses to somehow prop me up so that I could do it. And, uh, and once I'd sketched what I wanted, I was, I was happy. I was like, right, I've got it there now. <laughs> it's all there ready for, for the painting to commence. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, um, and, and sorry, sorry to interrupt, David, but up until no. that point, you'd never painted in your life. You'd not been artistically inclined like that. Well, yeah. Well, when I was when I was a kid, I was younger. I I enjoyed you know drawing and 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 painting when I was at school, but nothing like to this level. Not not mm. to this capacity. You know, it was just uh, something like all of us really. When we're all kids, we all enjoy. Right. Um, and on, and not only that, because of my lack of qualifications, you know, um, uh, I was I was struggling through school, and I, I re- and uh, I was being tr- they were trying to lead me into sort of, you know, we have all these meetings where they tr- they were trying to get me to uh, le- lead me into the way of, of working at the local factory, basically, because that was the right. only way I was going to get work, and right. so there was no question of talking about me doing art or anything so i was given all these subjects that i was like metal work and woodwork and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i was just doing all those, those things at school so i missed out on all that so um but i was the idea is that the that once i started doing the first painting you know obviously i was apprehensive about starting it but once i did start it i was amazed at what was happening and i realized that i was for the first time in my life, I was channeling ideas through from this place that I'd just been. Because I felt like I was still connected with them anyhow. I felt like I wasn't completely back on this earth as as my old self. And and I knew that I was channeling. And I'd sit back each day and and go, wow, look at that. It's like, thank you so much. And I I would begin thanking them, you know, at the end of the day because, I, you know, the, the, a lot of the stuff that goes on those paintings is not all me. It really mm. isn't, you know, and mm. it still isn't all me. It's a, I, I still, I'm, you know, I stand myself of, of, of what happens. And, uh, yeah, so so that's how my paintings really came about. I was, I was very lucky because some friends of my sister's were around and they, they run a, a yoga Pilates centre. And uh, I said, but, and Jane, she's a really good friend now, and her husband, Richard, I said, when are you going to start that painting? And I was going, no, I can't. You know, there's not enough light. And I was recuperating at my sister's at that point. And I said, you know, I can't possibly paint here. All the kids are around and stuff. So they mm-hmm. said, well, look, we've got a spare studio uh, going that's free for a week. Why don't you come and do it then? Thinking I'd knock it out in a week, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I did. And that's when I started painting. And um, uh, they really enjoyed having me there because people started coming in. And wanting to come up, they used to call me the artist in the attic, and so all these people who come in for the the yoga would come up and see me, and 
then word got around what it was about that it was about my near-death experience and stuff and people were fascinated so I, I also found my voice there and I found that people were interested and fascinated um so Jane and Richard turned around by the end of that week and they said well you're clearly nowhere near finished are you and then they said well you can stay I said oh well I thought you needed no 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 we'll work around you and I ended up staying for two years wow. and they never charged me a penny you know all that time and uh, mm. uh yeah, it was remarkable so it, it was like synchronicity that they were meant to come into my life and mm. and otherwise i wouldn't have been able to have done, done all the paintings i was prolific after that i was just kept painting and painting and um, you know it was just a great energy being there and uh, and stuff so and as an artist myself because i paint oh, and okay. sculpt and and i i looked at your art and I could see right away that um, you can, well, one, you can feel the energy coming off your art, which really touches the people, you know, and two, your use of colour, the way you've used the colours, the colours you've used, everything in your paintings really sends that energy out of what you were trying to portray and the artwork is absolutely brilliant for somebody who's never trained who's never done any artwork you know your art is amazing amazing and that's from one artist to another (laughs) but but from one person to another from a sensitive the energy that came off your paintings that comes off your paintings like your man sitting on the table behind you just amazing energy <laughs> yeah that's brando marlon brando that is yeah oh i thought he, i was yeah. thinking i was looking at that yeah. face thinking i know that <laughs> but yeah. you know like how did you like getting proportions right and and getting the shading and shading is something that i struggle with really badly but you did so you can tell that it's really inspired art is what i'm saying Mm. you can tell that you channeled it through absolutely yeah Uh, brilliant that's great thank you um yeah i i think it's because i allowed what i knew as i say pretty much straight away that i was Mm. being helped and so i allowed myself to be open i didn't restrict myself you know what i mean i wasn't Mm. scared you know i remember when i was painting the skin tones you know that suddenly i was inspired to like put you know like some lime green paint on the skin or blue paint and stuff like that and i don't know why but and and i thought no that's what they're telling me to do do it and and i suddenly realized that that worked that it was giving the skin different Mm. dimensions you know rather than just thinking you know that skin is just one color you know and it's not you know the skin has got light reflecting off it and, and in fact you, you know i don't know i don't know how it happened but there's just lots of different things like that there were certain things that happened in the painting like there was one painting that i did which was one that i wanted to do it's the second one i did which is called the beauty within which was i wanted to paint i wanted to process the accident itself and that so i i painted them it started off with, with me lying on the rail track and then the the paramedics guys down there you know working on me and so it's all very dark and it's all mm. all you can see is like the the, the jackets the day glow jackets and stuff that are, that are shining and, and what have you and um the fluorescent stuff and that then i didn't know where it was going to go from there because that's where i started 
And I wanted to take it up to the blue sky as well because I wanted right. to take you out of that darkness. And and I can promise you this is this this was not at all intentional, but the way it went from that darkness into the sky became a tidal wave. So uh, if you look at that painting at all on my website or whatever, yeah, you'll see what happens. That it goes, takes you from the darkness to the track. And it goes, as, and I actually then I, I made it into a tidal wave. And then the tidal wave just kind of curls into the blue sky. So I was being led mm. to give that kind of like, it's kind of quite surreal when you look at it, you know, people say, why is it a tidal wave and stuff? How come there's a cat sat on it, you know, and things like that. And there was a reason for the cat, you know, because, um, at the day of the accidents where it was, there was something very strange and odd happening that day. And I was very aware of it. And, and so was my friend Anna. And it seemed like we, my my sister's cat came into the room actually this is basically the room i've been staying in it was in an old cottage so it was a very low, low roof and i remember the cat mushu came in and just jumped we heard this kind of clattering and he jumped on top of this very high wardrobe and, and was kind of trapped almost between the top of the wardrobe and, and this, this low ceiling and i was going what are you doing up there how did you get up there you know and he just lay there with his paw dangling over and he just kept staring at us both and it was like we were just kind of going, oh, stop looking at us. You know, it's just. And I figured afterwards that he was trying to warn me that, you know, that he was trying to give me a sign that, that something was about to happen, you know, because cats are very, very intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he's, he's in the painting. He's like, he's sat on top of the tidal wave with his paw just dangling down. So he's featured. Yeah, it's so, really cool that yeah. you edited him in. Oh. oh, he's um, very important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about your website. Can you give us your website address so my listeners can go and see the paintings yeah. for themselves? Yeah, of course. Yeah, my website address is, it's very simple. It's called um, shineonthestory.com. Okay, so yeah. So if you, go to that, yeah, if you go to that website, shineonthestory.com, and you'll find everything in there. You can look at the paintings. You can click on to my SoundCloud links and you can stream um, my music for free well from the from the first symphony that I wrote which I can go on to talk about um, and so everything's on there basically and if you're interested in buying Shine On there's also you know link buttons that you can click on there which will take you to Amazon wherever you are in what part of the world to be able to buy it if you're interested please perfect. do <laughs> perfect and I'll have those links on this episode's page on the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com so right. My listeners can click through, and I'll have a direct link to where they can purchase your book from as well. So they can click on that from the website and, and go as well. So you started doing these paintings, and obviously that was and that was healing for you. But you were also yeah. touching all these people as they came to see you in the studio. Yeah. So you were making, you were actually healing people. And you didn't even realise you were doing it. Were you aware of that? Um, well, I was aware. I didn't feel like healing at that, at that stage, but I was aware that I was touching people mm -hmm. and that um, that the the story seemed to resonate with just about everyone, and nobody really challenged it and said, you know, oh, you know, come on. And they were, you know, there was nobody at all challenged it, and everyone was fascinated by it and. And it made me realize that um, this this was probably my mission. This was probably what I was supposed to be doing was to communicating 
uh, to people about the afterlife and uh, through my creativity and stuff. And so, so yeah, um, it was it was great because I got I became friends with a, a cello player, and she used to come there for yoga um, classes, and she used to come up all the time, and she was quite spiritual. And um, we became friends, and she, um, you know, that was good because she turned around one day and said, "Would you mind if we use one of your paintings for our next concert?" You know, so of course, you know, so so they they used the tidal wave actually, that part of that painting, and that that was so that was good. So we became friends, and um, a bit. The next thing that was to happen to me was that I was to take my creative. creativity to a new level uh, in terms of being able to portray the afterlife to people and what I'd seen and experienced and this was through music and um, this came about because um, I'd played when I was younger I used to play guitar that's why I asked the, the, the surgeon to save my arm because I used to sort of play in sort of you know just basic sort of three chord wonder right. punk sort of pop bands and that kind of right. thing you know and uh i i'd, I'd start anyway to cut a long story short so i'll get back to this i i'd started going to spiritual healing and uh, that i discovered uh, through the local spiritualist church and while i was having these spiritual healing sessions um one or two of the healers there were one in specific a uh, lady called joy was very clairvoyant and she would turn around at the end of the sessions and she would tell me what she picked up while she was healing me. You know, nothing too long, just a few little things. And it became apparent that um, she was picking up, she started off by saying, oh, why am I seeing a violin laid across your chest? And I was going, I have no idea, you know. And then she'd say, why am I hearing Beethoven, Bach, and Wagner? And I was going, (laughs) beats me, I can't take that one, you know. I'd always be honest. (laughs) And... um, and then she turned around one week and said, uh, they're telling me that you're going to write a piece of music about your experience. And I thought, oh, wow, yeah, that'd be good. So I couldn't play guitar anymore, even though they'd saved my arm. And so I went back to my apartment and I got this old cheap synthesizer out the, out the wardrobe, started trying to bang out some chords on that, thinking I was going to write a song. And so, because that's all I knew, you know. Was, right. Was, you know, and uh, so I was trying to, put this song together and uh, nothing was coming to be honest with you. and it just wasn't happening I thought and it, it obviously you know it wasn't meant to be there's no way I was going to be able to write a, a near-death experience in a three-minute pop song so um, <laughs> I was just sat there one one afternoon and I remember I just got the tv on there was like a movie on I was just kind of half watching it and I was half playing around on this thing and this chord progression just came and I thought well that's nice I, I like that and uh I recorded it onto this little old cassette recorder, which is all I got at that stage. And uh, it sounded so good to me that I just wanted to develop it and I just developed it and it became something again, like the paintings that was beyond me. I was being helped. And so I kept going. I thought, don't stop. And I thought this is something that should be played by an orchestra. So I am again, just like in the hospital that night, I didn't even think twice about it. I thought that's what I want. That's what I want to do, have an orchestra perform it. And um, I then met up with uh, my friend, the cello player um, for coffee. And she said, what have you been up to? So I told her what I've been up to. And uh, and uh, she said, oh, that sounds fascinating. She said, uh, maybe we could play it one day. And I said, 
well, that'd be quite nice. <laughs> so um, I, I went away and kind of held that in my head, that thought, and I thought, right, and I just developed it up. And I'd written, basically, when I say written, I'd just recorded on this cassette player um, pretty much the whole of the first movement of, for, for a piece of music. And my brother, who who lived in London, contacted me and said, what have you been up to? And I told him, he said, look, I've got this um, piece of software that you can have and you can, you know, you can plug it into your laptop and when you're playing your keyboard it will transpose what you're playing on the keyboard into musical notation because I couldn't read or write music um, I still can't either um, but that's what happened and I managed to get it together and get it all scored up and then I got it printed off met my friend for coffee and told her and I said do you remember that conversation we had I said well look I've got this piece of music would you have a look at it and she said yeah sure so she brought along one of the senior members of the orchestra and they both looked at it and said, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it. You know? And so uh, they really liked it. And so I, I still haven't got that. I'd only got this first movement at that stage where they agreed to do it. So I had to write the rest, but it all just came from that moment. It just kind of just grew like this beautiful mm. sort of flower, you know, beyond, before my eyes and ears. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, so they turned around to me and you know, I remember the first rehearsal. The, they said, well, we've got the first rehearsal coming up. I said, yeah. Okay. So I remember turning up to that and that was kind of, um, that was, you know, I was apprehensive. I was Again, I was confident because I knew that I was being guided by this, but I was also apprehensive because I come from a, you know, a working class background with really? no musical knowledge. And there I was walking into a, an an orchestra, a full orchestra, and they're all very highly educated, mm. middle-class sort of arena, you know. And, and I arrived and the conductor said, oh, you know, he had his back turned, they were playing through something else. And then he turned around and said, oh, the, the composer's here now. And I was thinking, what a composer? You know? <laughs> it's me, you know. And uh, he said, David, would you like to say a few words about your music? And I bottled it. And I said, no, thanks, it's okay. And he said, no, come on, we want, we'd like to know. So I did. And it was that same thing as being back in the yoga center yeah. that once, because it was about my near death experience. And once I started talking about what it was and what it was about, everybody was listening and everybody, and I could tell that everybody wanted to know people putting their hands up and asking questions. And, and, um, so yes, yeah, so I stepped aside and, uh, you know, the baton came down and the, beautiful moment was just like it just overwhelmed me it was like those three chords that i talked about earlier were the opening chords to the first movement and they came in and they just kind of like it was like i was bathed in this amazing sound you know it was just like three-dimensional it was just filled right. the whole room and it was just like wow this is incredible you know it's something that i would highly recommend to anybody to sort of have, have that moment of if ever you write some music for orchestra it's just beautiful so uh, so, and I just thought, yeah, it's worked. This is going to happen, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really. And, and, and of course, then you finished writing, and you, I, I remember reading how, like, how this, how initially you felt insecure about how the orchestra was taking your work but then you realized later that it was actually they were as um feeling the same way because they were meeting the author of this music so they were like dealing with their own 
insecurities on a personal level as well. So it wasn't it wasn't they weren't like being snobbish or standoffish. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, they weren't at all. I wasn't. No, no, I, I never got that. that picture. Yeah, it was my own, and you know, it was just uh, yeah. They were yeah. lovely people and still are, you know, incredibly supportive, and uh, they they loved when it was performed. You know, the you know the conductor just turned around afterwards. You know, he, he got me up there and said, "Come on, you know, everyone was," and uh, and he just went, that, "That that that was amazing. It sounded fantastic, and I could tell it how much he enjoyed it and loved it." But but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I decided on the third movement I wanted somebody to sing because uh, I thought I, I was again I was inspired to, to have some lyrics. Um, um, so I knew this guy uh, who was like one of the best tenor singers in Cambridge, you know. And I thought, well, I'll just go and speak to him and see if he knows anyone who would be interested in doing it because he's going to know lots of people. So we met up and I went round to his house and uh, he looked at the score. And these guys, you know, they're amazing. They can look at music score and they know, they can hear it They can just by reading, you know. And he was like looking at it and he was like singing it through, humming it. And then he was going, and looked at it and I went, what? And he said, I can't, you've got like a C sharp major over, over an E flat or whatever, you know, and E flat uh, <laughs> diminished. I was going, okay. And he said, you wouldn't normally do that. And I said, well, I know. And he said, but it works. He said, that's brilliant. He said, that's a stroke of genius. And it, it's lovely. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, you know, I said, I'm sure you've written many pieces yourself. And he said, no. He said, I would never have attempt to write a piece of music for orchestra. You know, I, could, I just wouldn't. And I was really shocked, you know, and uh, by that. And I, I, the conductor said the same to me as well. So, which is, you know, I thought, wow, it's, it's quite a... Uh, a big thing that I've, I've pulled out here. So anyway, he turned around and he said, look, I'll do it. And I was going, no way. He said, yeah. So he agreed to sing it and uh, he's got the voice of an angel, you know, and he's just like, he just, he came along to one rehearsal and just nailed it and that was it and then sang it at the, at the actual performance. And uh, so that was, that was really beautiful. Um, and the concert itself sold out like two weeks in advance because the energy I was being helped with that as well to make it all happen because um i remember the, the orchestra turned around to me and said look we we normally get you know if, if we've got a composer or whatever's written a piece we normally ask if you can just do a couple of lines for the local press you know and i said yeah sure so they phoned me up the local newspaper and i told them the story and they knew a lot of people knew oh, of me anyhow because yes. it was quite a big thing in the papers and the tv that going the man going under the train so everyone remembered at that point so they loved it. Like, oh wow, yeah, this is great. And they turned it into a big half page wow. interview with me and stuff. And then it went from there to like, oh, my phone kept ringing, you know, and then I was on the front of the, another newspaper. And then it went sort of national. And then the BBC wanted to come and film me, interview me at the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So that's why it sold out so quick. So that was amazing because mm -hmm. I knew I could, I felt the energy was just like, I thought, wow, you're helping me with this now, aren't you? Not this is not just you're not just helping me put paint onto a canvas or notes onto a you know into into music. You're helping me now to bring people along to this performance, and and the, the energy was just amazing that night. You know, it was just um, really special. And everybody from the spiritualist church uh, came along, and it was great. Just every single person, and uh, and 
one of them turned around to me, one of the healers said, oh, just, she said, just as your piece started, I saw a dove just land, you know, on the windowsill. It was a lovely old church. It was like a, it's a converted church. And so it's a beautiful venue. So just, just, and I said, I saw it as well. I did. I just saw this at the corner of my eye, this dove just fall and just land slowly on the, on the windowsill as it, as it was performed. And, and um, it finished and, my family and I, we got front row seats we'd been given, which is really sweet. And we were sat there, you know, and uh, my mom just hugged me with tears run, running down her face, you know, and uh, she said, that was just so beautiful. And I said, thanks, mom, you know, and we hugged. And then my sister said, David, look behind you. And there was a standing ovation. So wow. people were just standing up and, you know, and it was just uh, really moving and uh, remarkable. But what was great was, you know, people would come up and chat to me, after the performance, you know, who had never met before and people were saying, you know, had certain things that happened, you know, they may have lost somebody or one or two people said, you know, I've had a near-death experience myself. I've had something similar. And so we'd swap emails and, you know, people were really, had come. They'd seen the news item and they were, they wanted to come and they were, and, and so it was very magical. So again, I, th- I thought it's happened again. I'm just, yeah. I'm just getting the message uh, across to yeah, yeah, through your music, through your art, through yourself, through your life, actually. Yeah. Wow. So that must have been um, quite emotionally cathartic for you on one level, validating for you on another level, on a human level. Um, it must have been incredibly healing for you to know that, hey, I'm not this this failure that I've been thinking I was all these years, you know, I actually have worth and I have value and it must have been all these things going through your mind, even though not consciously, you know, you would have been processing all of this at that response, you know. It, it must have just, I can't begin to imagine the, the, the myriad of emotions that you would have been feeling at that point in time. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right on that. It's um, it it's um, um, it. I realised that that uh, my life had just uh, had been one series of of letdowns, and and mm-hmm. and that I was constantly beating myself up before in my life, and so I never really gave myself any self love or self worth. So I never really thought I'd amount to anything, and uh, and everything I did just seemed mm. to—I didn't seem to fit into it at all. You know, you know, when I was doing the manual labouring work, I didn't even fit into that. You know, I wasn't very good at it, and I thought I can't even do this. You know, and so suddenly I'd found myself, and I'd found myself in a in a in a place that I was suddenly comfortable in my skin, and 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 once I'd found that. Mm. I just didn't want to stop, you know, I just wanted to continue. I wasn't kind of like going frantically like, hey, you know, I've got to really keep smashing through this one, you know, but it just, you know, it just, it just felt like a, a natural progression um, and that everything just felt like it felt comfortable and right and it, none of it felt forced either. You know, like I said about the, the success of the, the interviews mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I never forced any of that. I didn't suddenly become this kind of like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta, right. I gotta start getting myself on this show. I gotta get that show. I gotta find these people. You know, none of that. It, it all, basically, it came to me 
and and I think it's something that really I that I'm on I'm keen to sort of stress to a lot of people that that you know that's my big lesson you know that that, that you don't you know once you stop and give yourself that self love and that self worth you know the the bright things will come to you basically mm-hmm. you know uh, you know i was just chasing after things that weren't meant for me so no wonder yeah, they weren't happening absolutely you know, so, yeah. and i could feel that i could feel that at that moment when i read that in your book i could feel what it had done for you as a person so that's my cat uh, i could feel i could feel what it had done no, for no, you as a person and i could feel that it had lifted Lifted your um, uh, <laughs> lifted your mindset. Perhaps is that the right word? No, it's not the right word. Uh, it had lifted your energies and it had healed you. Yeah, it had healed you. Yeah, mm. yeah. How beautiful is yeah, that? Exactly, yeah. And there, yeah. there from then, what made you decide to write your book? Well, it's something that I'd always wanted to do, but because of my dyslexia, I just figured that would never happen. And uh, um, in fact, the spiritualist church I talked about, I discovered that, um, and I, I used to go there to the to the to the services, you know, most weeks, and uh, they'd have a, like a guest medium with would sort of do the platform as they call it at the end of the night, and do like half an hour and. They basically all these people who travelled, you know, from from over the country. So they they and they were constantly um, sort of coming through messages for people, and um, you know. And I remember getting the odd message that would come through to me, and uh, I just uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember now what it um, what, what made it was you decide to write Sorry, I'm just I'm just. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, do forgive me. I do that sometimes. I start I talking. I do exactly and then, the same and, thing. And I get I, off on a tangent, <laughs> and I've forgotten that the call. It wasn't like it was. It was. A, it was a brilliant question, and so it's an important one as well. So I don't know how I lost that, but I was. Um, anyhow, yeah. So the thread was was that, was that they kept turning around. I, I was getting picked out quite a, a lot at the beginning. I think it's because I'd got this energy was still glowing from this afterlife where I've been to, and and people were saying. You know, gentlemen over there, you know, they're, they're telling me you're going to write your story, you know. So the book came about, as I say, I, I being dyslexic, I, I never figured I'd be able to write my story, but it's something I'd always wanted to do. And in fact, I was being led by a few mediums that were cropping up at the the spiritualist church that I talked about earlier, where I used to, when I used to go there, I used to go to the uh, Sunday evening services and they'd have like mediums doing a platform at the end of the night. And a few of them were traveling mediums that would, would pick me out every now and again. And they kept saying to me, gentlemen over there, they're telling me, they're showing me a computer and they're showing a typewriter. Are you writing something? And I was going, and I used to say, I wish, I wish, you know, and so I really wanted to do it. So that didn't happen um, at first. And then a friend of mine said, look, you know, I know somebody who would be interested in probably in, in ghost writing and helping you put this book together um, because you're dyslexic and I said oh, that'd be great and I didn't even know what a ghostwriter was but anyhow but that's what happened so um so, so 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 that's how the book came together and we just everything that's gone into it is me and it's all my 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 thoughts my words and everything but this person this wonderful person helped 
construct it into into the format of a book and that's what happened and um i just thought right well you know what where do we go from here and um so what happened was um initially i decided i would send the manuscript off to uh, dr raymond <clears throat> moody um uh, because i'd I'd come across him right after my accident because I was trying to find out, figure out what had happened to me. And I'd done this first painting and then I was going through the internet and I found out this guy, old Dr. Raymond mm. Moody. And I thought, oh, he sounds good. And I didn't even know who he was or how big he was. In fact, yeah, he coined yeah, the phrase, yeah. the experience. Yeah. And uh, so I'd sent him my painting, the first painting I did. And he got back actually uh, pretty, pretty quick and said, this is a, this is a, wonderful painting and and what an amazing experience but just a few lines and that was it so i figured once this book was finished why not send him the manuscript see if he likes it you know and uh, see if he would read it and of course it was a random shot uh because he's you know it's a, a, and we never heard anything and then suddenly i got an, e- an email off um his manager saying i've just come across this email that you sent for 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 Raymond's and, and she said he, he's notoriously busy and, and, and overlooks he gets so many so he never gets to look at them she said but I've just looked at your website and I've seen the trailer you've made for your book and, and all the, the artwork it's amazing she said he's going to love this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that he reads it so I said oh thanks so she did and uh, he read it and uh, she got back and she said Raymond's really enjoying the book and she said I think he'll um um, write an acknowledgement and I was like oh that'd be great and then he got to the end of the book and she said actually no he really loves it he wants to write a forward for it so so it started from there and we and I hadn't even got you know a um, a publisher at that point and uh, <laughs> so I started sending it out to a few people and in, uh, in the UK and and this one guy got back to me and said I've just read it and I love the book but it's not something that we would normally put out it's not for us he said, do you mind if I hand it to someone else? I said, no, sure. So he handed it to this guy called Michael Mann and uh, he got in touch with me. I remember it was just before Christmas and then he said, look, um, not, you know, not the one yeah, before last year, it takes the process and that. But, he, but it all happened again really quick. And so he said, um, I've just taken it to my team and we, we'd love to offer you a publishing deal and i was going right and that was just like literally before what a, what a christmas present and so that was it and the, then the wheels went into motion really really quick and then before we knew it you know it was all coming together and then and then the book was released um on in here in the uk on june the 26th so that's only just so it's out and it's um and it's been brilliant because it's meant that uh i've done lots of interviews uh with with and meeting wonderful people like you which is great because it's like you know we have i'm having these fantastic conversations but also it's getting out and to many many people in 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 far reach corners and so it's like again it's going i thought it was great people just you know 350 people crammed into a church was great for me but now it's like getting out out, um, you know to worldwide and so even before the book came out that there was already a lot of people were listening to the story and people have been getting in touch with me and who've, you know, people have lost loved ones or, or people are fearing death and all, all sorts of things. And, it, and it's great to be able to take it to the next level and just to be able to talk about what's happening and people getting a very lovely response, positive response from me and how, and it's helped them, you know, and, and what have you. So it's, it's just, a, a, it's, it's just wonderful. So 
the book's already selling well, which is great. Consider, consider we've just been through the biggest, right. <laughs> craziest, you know, sort of crisis, worldwide crisis with the COVID, you know. And, and it's it's no. actually no surprise um, because it, it, at this time, with all the deaths and everything, people are really wanting to know that life continues on because these are scary times that we're living in. So it really doesn't surprise me at all that that your book is taking off. Mm-hmm. I interviewed a chap um, in my first season. This this episode will be in my fifth season of my podcast. In my first season, I interviewed a guy by the name of Ned Martinier, um, who's in the States, and he actually started a group, a support group for um, near-death experience survivors. And it's a really wonderful group, and all these people... Mm-hmm. He started it because there wasn't really a lot of places where people could go to talk about their experiences where they didn't feel so alone at that point in time. Of course, now there is, but his group is over, I don't know, over 30,000 members. Yeah. I don't know how many now, but yeah. people share their experiences and they share how it made them feel and, and it helps everybody. It's a, well, it's a support yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And that was really well received. That that episode was really well received. And yeah. so yeah. I know that when people hear this episode, it's going to have a huge impact on them because people feel the energies, even if they're not consciously aware that they're feeling it. So just listening to your voice, the energies that come off you when you're talking about your experiences are going to heal people. They're going to heal people. That's hmm. um, after after that segue. Um, so you've got your so your book just came out right. on oh, the twenty sixth of June this year, twenty twenty. So it's all very in the new stages, which is really exciting for you. And hmm. uh, obviously, you're getting good feedback That's already. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, it has. It's been it's been a great energy, is is how I describe it. In a just the the build up to it again, it's a bit like that yeah. concert that. The, the week before it came out, I could I could feel like the energy was just the dial was turning up, and then um, it was like it really it was almost like Christmas if you like it was like like the night before felt like Christmas Eve, and then when I woke up on the day of the release, it felt mm. like I thought yeah the energy is just really great. I mean, social media is obviously a, a brilliant gauge of all that, and it was just really strange because uh, you know I was opening up. At my phone and I was just seeing all these messages were coming through not from this from my friends but just random people that I didn't even know and friend requests and and it was really odd and I thought how could it's great the energy is kind of just going out there and it's not me literally of course I'm you know I was working hard at my social media but not not that hard it's not like I'm suddenly getting people because I'd worked hard at trying to pull them in it was just the energy was just happening and and, and it felt very powerful and, and it continued to be so over the over the last week and uh, so it's been lovely so you know uh, it's as far as I'm concerned if it, it's 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 brilliant if, if, it, if it only reaches this point I don't care because it's been it, it's beautiful but I don't think it will I think you know what whatever happens next is will be it's, yeah, I agree it'll, with it. it'll form its own natural sort of uh path and, and take me where it needs to it. so to round this off um david where do you see yourself going now what 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 did your nde teach you right well my nde taught me that um 
that I was surrounded by my mm. guides that I met on the other side. And I didn't just meet them for the first time then. They've been with me throughout my whole life, but I just didn't know that. And I was unable to connect with them. Whereas now I connect with them on a daily basis and I call upon them. And it's very easy for me to, for all of us to do that. And what I learned when I was there was unconditional love. And the healing process that I talked about that was happening was them healing all those wounds that had been in, inflicted on my soul and they were healing my soul. So, so basically I've learned to love myself now. And as I said earlier in the conversation, once I learned to love myself, I learned self-worth and then, and then things started to happen in my life. But I wanted to, I like to try and stress to anyone that I talk to when I'm talking about my work or what have you, that it's, 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 there's nothing we've all got that we've all got our, our guides our individual guides every single one of us i believe but i also believe that an awful lot of us don't like myself don't know how to connect with them and and so i just feel that it's something that we can all do and i you know and so yeah self-love unconditional love and um and just knowing that your guides are there for you that's 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 what i learned and the the most important one is that death is not anything to fear that it's it's the next stage of the journey it really mm -hmm. is i i've been there and i've seen it and i i believe it wholeheartedly that you know it, it wasn't a, like a dream state or a hallucination it's very very vivid and lucid and it's, it's like ultra real and and it's and it's a beautiful place and it's a, and and you know let's face it that you know, why should the soul just suddenly switch off like a light switch? Yeah, I, our bodies do. I know that, and they stop and decay. But, but, but our souls live on, and, they, and, they, and, and I just feel that we should we should we should talk a bit more about death, and you know, it's going to happen to us all. You know, it's like True. we don't we don't take our driving test without having some lessons first and reading the the code, the highway code, or whatever. You know, so so yeah, yeah. Self love is something that most people. Um, struggle with here on this planet it's a really difficult thing because of um, life's experiences because of the way we've been brought up because of the way people treat us so many things contribute to to a low self-esteem so self-love is really important and for you this has been a total I can see that despite the the pain and the trauma and the the physical things the physical things that's left you with that are, that you probably struggle with on a daily basis it's healed you mm. yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah how beautiful is that that's really really beautiful um so where do you see yourself going from here mm, i don't know because i i never really sort of plan ahead i guess I, um, because I, I just allow whatever happens to come in into me as much as i possibly can i try i try very hard and it's very tempting at the moment especially with something like this with a book coming out to start planning ahead saying oh, why don't we let's you know a few people are saying oh this sounds like a movie you know and stuff like that and it's very easy to say yeah yeah, yeah maybe i should try and contact this guy and that guy but i don't want to do that the way it's worked so far for me is this allowing you know the, um, whatever happens, the success that has happened so far to come to me. And so I can't really answer that one. I can't really make any big plans. 
so to close off our time together, and I've really absolutely enjoyed talking with you, would you like to once again share your website and perhaps your social media handles so um, anybody who's listening can uh, can follow you? Yeah, sure. Um, I will. The website is like the main hub where you can go to. So that is shineonthestory.com. And, and everything's in there. You can listen to the music, stream it for free, or look at my artwork. Um, Instagram, um, so you can find me there. So that's David underscore Ditchfield. Um, then Facebook, I've got an NDE page, and so that's David Ditchfield NDE. And, um, but as I say, I think you'll probably find everything through either any of those links, really. You'll get taken. You know, I've also got a... Um, a um, what's it called a youtube <laughs> a youtube channel as well sorry i, I forget half these things but there's a youtube channel so if people want to sign up to that as well and follow me you can see what's going on because i tend to do video diaries of every now and again but go I, i'd recommend really just to go to um, you know shine on the story.com um, because you'll find the links there for all the other ones on there right. so that's probably the best thing yeah Awesome. Awesome, David. Look, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I know that it's getting late in the evening in the, in the UK and um, I really have enjoyed our time together. And I uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey with us all. It's been really a beautiful journey. And I've, I, for one, have really enjoyed um, listening I felt everything with you. <laughs> uh, as I was reading, as I was reading your book, I could see it all in my mind's eye, and I could feel the emotions that you were feeling at the time. So, it, so for all my listeners, honestly, I suggest that you go and purchase David's book because mm, it's really a great read, and it's very healing. And it's Thank just you. really worth Thank having you so in your much. library. That's really lovely. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, bless you. Bless you. How are you doing now? Like, apart from the fact that you're so busy, um, you know, with us, how, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I am actually. As I shouldn't say this, isn't it? No, I'm just still getting a bit of, <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, <laughs> yeah. good. I'm feeling great. It's just... It's um just I would say that this this the last twelve months the the promotion almost or the energy for this book started that far back you know and it's just felt great all the way through and so I'm I'm, I'm enjoying it and I, as I said earlier I'm enjoying talking to people like yourself and just getting the message out there and doing these interviews it's just great so it's um it it feels good I'm I'm, I'm feeling very very um, positive about it and very but in a in a calm way without going, yeah, this is amazing and stuff. You know what I mean? So, so I feel good. And, um, yeah. It's awesome. Oh, that's so awesome. You have a, a wonderful evening, David, and thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it immensely. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me along. It's, it's really great chatting with you. It really is. I always enjoy my guests. 
However, some touch me deeply on a soul level and leave a lasting impact. David has been one such guest. I literally could not put his book down when his publisher sent it to me. Literally couldn't. I read it in one sitting. It made me laugh, cringe for him at times and definitely cry. I found myself saddened for him and the lasting physical impact of his injuries, but at the same time uplifted and encouraged by the personal strength and healing, yes, healing, this experience gave to him. Something that was extremely horrific changed his life in positive and encouraging ways that I found extremely uplifting and empowering. I encourage all of you to purchase this book. It's brilliant. And I don't get anything for promoting it. I simply feel that it will impact many of you listening as much as it had me. And it may provide healing on a level for some reading it. So please check it out. There's a link on this episode's page on the www.walkintheshadowlands website that will take you to Amazon where you can purchase it from. You can also check out some of David's beautiful art and listen to his symphony from this episode's page on the podcast website or on David's website www.shineonthebook.com. Our bumper music today is called Enigma by Caleb Etheridge. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself and my audience, or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest on my podcast, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or check out the Be A Guest page on the podcast website. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating, and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and Pandora and iHeartRadio as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 